What's up, everybody? My name is Fernanda Sesto. I was born and raised in Uruguay, but I'm currently a senior at the University of Rochester in New York, and I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship, technology, and building things. I've been involved with the venture capital space since my freshman year of college, and I decided to create this podcast because I want to bring visibility to Latin America as an emerging market and help investors and just people who are interested in investing in the region to understand more about the ecosystem there. I will be interviewing investors and entrepreneurs, talking about their career, their experiences, trends, and everything related to ventures. Gali started XX, an accelerator focused on finding and investing in the best founders before anyone else. He's now working on the launch of a new fund, Anti-Gravity. In this episode, I talked to him about his path from being a student at Minerva Schools in San Francisco to being a partner of a VC fund. I'm very excited to have another Your Wine in the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Gaddy. How are you? Good. Good. Really good. I'm so happy to um, have another Your Wine in the podcast. Thank you a lot for being here. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, I think we met uh, a bit over a year ago, maybe, and I remember like the introduction was literally like, I think it's like the only other Uruguayan that's kind of like in the world of VC. So it's pretty cool. You're probably the only other Uruguayan in the world VC who is like the same age as you. Right. That's, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, can you give us a quick intro by yourself and what you're doing and stuff like that? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Gavi. I lived my entire life in, in Uruguay. I moved, I, I, I always wanted to kind of like be that kid that would be able to study abroad. But I mean, as probably, you know, I mean, you did it yourself as well. Like you don't, there's no culture of like thinking how to navigate the process of going study abroad. Like no one really comes to tell you like, this is a possibility that you can think about. So I literally just kind of like did it the way that I knew how. And um, I wasn't born and raised in like a Jewish community back in Uruguay. I mean, I went to like, like a kind of like agnostic school. I did the IB, which was, I was very lucky to do that exam, but um, my dad was Israeli. So it's like, Israel is probably like the only place that I could go study abroad for free. I'm just going to go live there. I mean, you know, like, fuck it. Uh, so I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know anything. So I went six months first to go live in a kibbutz, which is like the socialist commune like in Israel. It's like the only place where these things actually work. And it was an incredible program because it's like 80 people like all going to live there much older like the average was probably like 26 and like as in just turned 18 years old like i'm surrounded by people from all over the world much older than me that became my friends like i grew up a ton there and like the job was like very harsh like probably the hardest work i'll ever do in my life i had to wake up at like 5 a.m every day to like clean fish ponds and like go through like the entire cycle of like fish production um and then i would learn hebrew and have fun and but from there, I kind of like ended up applying to this university called Minerva in San Francisco. I got in and I literally just left everything in Israel and I went directly to San Francisco. And I guess that's where like the, the real, like the kind of like the, the startups VC life really started. Like I only got exposed to the startup industry from here and I fell in love with it really fast. Like, you know, like every, everyone is open to having a conversation as a young student that comes from like such a small culture is like oh shit like it, it literally just starts changing who who you are in many ways I started meeting like a lot of really important mentors in my life and I thought I would want to be a founder so there was this 
YC company called WeFunder that essentially allows any other company to raise money from not rich people, like smaller check sizes. And it's kind of like a regal story that we can talk about afterwards. But it was a very different company back then. I think now like there are over 100 people and I joined when we were like just seven as an intern. Um, I had to hunt them down because they were ignoring all my emails. And they gave me a job because I literally hunted them down. They probably wouldn't have given it to me otherwise. Um, and that was incredible because like very, very quickly, like I start working directly with the CEO. He becomes like my most important mentor at that point. We lived together in the same house, like weird stuff. But I was kind of like leading like a bunch of like the growth stuff at that point. And then we started XX, which was the spinoff from WeFunder to write checks into founders that we thought had incredible potential before they became obviously great. So in practice, we 50% of the checks that we wrote, we were the first serious money in. And what we were trying to do was really replicating the magic that maybe White Combinator lost from its early days of like the small, intimate eight to 10 company cohorts with mentors, everything in person, like hoping that maybe a founder that goes through the batch would end up having like a lifelong friend that is part of their wedding 10 years down the road. Um, and I learned everything from there because like, I, I mean, I, we, we built XX myself and two other partners and um, yeah, I started raising the funds. We were investing in all these companies. We invested in like 37 companies, a little bit over $2 million. That, I mean, the companies like the, the funds are, are doing really well now. Um, and I fell in love. Like it was kind of like that changed my entire perspective on like kind of like the first route that I want to take in my life from the founder side to the investor side in this specific stage. And I decided I wanted to continue doing that. Um, so through XX, we were working the last kind of like almost two years with a guy called Daniel Ha, which is like a guy that's much older than me and a lot more successful than me. But we got really close and now we're starting this fund together. Um, oh. Like we, I, I moved on from XX like over a month ago and we're just getting started with this new thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm super excited and it's going really well. Nice. Um, so Do you yeah. have a name for the new fund? Yeah, it's called anti-gravity. Anti-gravity. Oh, nice. That's such a cool name. I like it. Yeah. Um, is it like the anti-gravity fund or is it just anti-gravity? No, it's it's gonna be anti-gravity capital. Uh okay. but, but yeah, I mean uh, the kind of like the, the domain email will actually probably be more like angercapital.com. So we'll see we'll see how that catches with people. Oh. Like if people start calling us like the angry people or something, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. That's cool. Well, congrats on the new launch um, of the fund. Um, that's such a big, you know, and like, yeah, like I, I very talked for too much. No, no, no. But <laughs> I feel like that's such a long, I guess, long uh, path to get um, to where you are right now. I, I think that's yeah, it was pretty very cool. random. Yeah, I'm very admirable that you've been through all these different like stages. I kind of resonate a lot with what you said about being a founder. Like I also, when I came here, I've always had this entrepreneurial mindset of like, I wanted to start something and like be a founder yeah. as well. And that's like drove me into like startups. And mm -hmm. now I feel like as I'm exploring the VC industry, I want to like still have this, you know, entrepreneurial math mindset. Um, yeah. As on like on the other side. I mean, you, you have it, right? You're, you're starting your own podcast. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so what, but like you mentioned that when you went to San Francisco, um, that's when you kind of got exposed to more like the startups and VC um, industry and like environment. So what, what exactly like drove you to there? Like what interested you in this space and this ecosystem? Like once I was in San Francisco or 
to get to San Francisco in the first place? No, in, in general, like what interested you in startups in, in VC? Like yeah. what, what was your main? I think that the, the truth of once you are in SF already is that you have no choice. Like people are kind of like spatting startups into your face. You know, like you, you can't hide away from technology once you're here. But once, like when I first got to SF, I had no clue I actually wanted to go down this route. Like, like when I first started my mind, like my freshman year of college, I, I was going to do research. Like my first applications to internships were to like, like Santa Fe Institute, which is like a complex systems, like research institute. I, I just literally just wanted to be a PhD or something. Uh, and I ended up dropping out of college to, to start my own fund. So I clearly didn't happen the same way, but I think that the, the truth that is so hard for me to explain is just the general culture that exists in San Francisco once you're here, the people that you meet, the stories that you learn about, the energy that just kind of like feeds your soul. Like it goes so deep. And um, I mean, I'm like that, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I was always the person to take risks. I was always the person to try living my own story and like try breaking apart kind of like the frameworks or archetypes that I thought I had to follow in my mind. Um, so I very quickly fell in love with the kind of person that would, that is a founder. And I mean, I, I think it wasn't like a conscious process, but like one day, like, like in, in a process of like two or three months, I was trying to kind of like learn about startups instead of like school. So it, I think it was like a gradual process. That's cool. That's cool. Um, definitely the environment where you are kind of influences like your interest. Your it really does. I mean, yeah. I, I talk about that like with with friends back home that are, do not get to be here or even friends here when they're deciding going like the big tech route, like should I get a f- job at Facebook or join like a more interesting startup after college? And I always say the same thing, like whatever you choose will either make you smarter or dumber. And it's really up to you what you decide. <laughs> uh, that's a good phrase. Okay, so, um, you know, I know you are, you know, like you have experience in SF and like you have invested there. Um, but I see your why, and I know that you also um, track, you know, the Latin American ecosystem. And so I'm curious, like, do you have specific like interests or like what type of trends are you excited about in Latin America um, in the startup ecosystem there? Yeah. Let me think. It's actually like a hard question. <laughs> um, in general, like it's, it, this is this is always like a little bit hard for me to understand exactly where I stand. I care about the ecosystem at a personal level a lot. And um, I think what's really cool for me in the position that I am is that I get to meet a lot of the people that have a very similar life story to mine. You know, like the Uruguayan, the Argentinian, the Mexican that somehow managed to leave their own countries and get to the United States and start here and think globally and like I mean that's very much like one of the biggest natural filters of talent right like if you already are the person that gets to the U.S. San Francisco from like an emerging market you're probably one of the best in your country and like that's like that kind of founder I always really love meeting so from like a personal level like I love working and investing in immigrants from that perspective Um, in terms of like specific trends in Latin America like I mean there's so much right like I mean, the, it's kind of like that that common knowledge of like like just Latin America's like infrastructure wise ten years behind, and like I mean the startups of today are just building that out. From an investor hat, sometimes investing in some of that feels insincere to me, 
because it's very different. Like, I don't know, like if, if there's like a last mile solution in Peru that comes and pitches me like, yeah, like we're, we're rethinking last mile or like we're rethinking e-commerce and all that stuff. Like there's so many like layers to the culture that you miss out if you're not like living there. So there's a lot of trends that excite me. And then there's some that I just don't think I'm like smart enough to even consider investing in. So I guess like the kind of like the investor persona and then like who I am as a, at a person level wanting that time to improve uh, are not always like aligned in that sense. But, but yeah, if that's that, interesting. Know, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. That's interest, interesting. I think, you know, that's that's true. Like once like, you know, you're kind of like outside of the ecosystem and you're not living there, you're not seeing also like each Latin American country is very different from each other. So it's not that, you know, you're you're Hawaiian, but that doesn't mean that you understand how like Colombians like exactly like work and yeah. like their problems and, and stuff. So yeah, um, and, and and my point is that it really depends on the kind of market that you're building for in that uh, in that country that like I mean sometimes like there's some general truths that are a lot easier for me to understand and like develop some analogies on. And then there's the classic like very much in-person kind of product like in the real world that like then you gotta be very acquainted with the culture to actually understand and break apart the company uh at that initial product market fit stage cool 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 i i like that response i think it's 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 like important to make that distinction of like okay here's like you know i'm like my investor side and here's like what i'm i care about like at a personal level i think that's that's cool so you know i'm like i admire you gabby because like you are like (laughs) my same age and like you're already like doing my dream basically which is starting your own fund um i think that's very cool and i'm just like you know like what type like what advice do you you can like give us you know like folks like young folks like me (laughs) um and like others who are listening to the podcast who are interested in starting their own fund and specifically if they're Latin Americans, for example, or, you know, they're Latinos who were raised here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, who like were technically underrepresented in this industry. So yeah, um, yeah what are the struggles you've, you've had and, you know, like as a Latin American and as someone who, you know, you like, you're an immigrant as well. Like you came like, yeah. um, from Uruguay um, on your yeah. own. So, I'm just curious to hear that, like about that experience. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I wish I would have like true tactical, like recipe kind of advice on on how to kind of like climb the ladder in that sense. I don't, right? Like my, my experience has been chaotic, right? Like I just generated enough exposure in life that I met some people that really believed in me and were willing to take shots on who I was without me being able to show for much but they got to know me and like I earned their trust and like I, I guess it's a combination of generating enough exposure with like understanding when is the right time to take like a big jump or a risk to generate to change your path in a way that like it makes sense to where you want to get um, but I'll be honest at the same time I, I never it never came from a place where I felt I was a minority I never I, I never had to go through that uh, like shit, like I feel like I have incredible talent here, but because I'm I'm an immigrant, because I'm from Uruguay, because English is not my first language, now I can't get to where I want to be. Uh, I mean, in many ways, I'm I'm very lucky because I went to like a school that taught me English to an extent, and then I improved it when I went abroad to Israel 
and I, I mean, I, I still look like somewhat European, so I don't get discriminated by, by people that would maybe to someone with a darker skin that comes from like Latin America or something. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, to an extent, I feel like not putting yourself in the box of a minority is your ultimate advantage um, because it doesn't affect your mindset in any negative way. You know, like sometimes like you do need to kind of like unlock yourself from any single constraint to think that you can actually do what you think you can and believe in yourself. Uh, so to an extent, I feel like you, you do have to ignore um, like all these data and all these numbers and all these minorities and all these constraints, because I mean, you are on an individual path and you're no, you're no similar to any other Uruguayan you'll ever meet uh, to like, right. Like at a, at a deeper level and like no one, like no one that went through a similar path will define your own. Uh, and at, at a general level, like you want to fight for change and you want to fight for more access at an individual level, you always have to believe that you can be the exception to, to every single rule. Um, yeah, I don't know. We can talk really like for a long time on that one. <laughs> About that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I actually, that reminds me, I did a research like a few years ago um, and I was studying kind of like how there's like a, um, I don't remember this is technical term for this that I, I I'm like blanking on right yeah. now but it's basically the concept is like when you're a minority and um you already have your own bias based on like what it's thought Absolutely. of that group and Absolutely. that sometimes can limit you from taking opportunities yeah. or like feeling comfortable like you know in certain environments 100%. so I was studying it at like an academic level so like how women feel in like STEM classes and sometimes like there's already this stigma around like oh women um mm. don't do well in math so a lot of women choose not to take math classes sometimes because they have this own like misconception and so it's like interesting because th- there's a like there's a technical name for that that i that i forget but there's like what you're just saying that like yeah like you- sort of like confirmation <laughs> bias um yeah yeah of some sort, sort of it's, it's but it's like true. at a personal level so it's like what you think of your like you know right no, I understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, like, you have to be very, very careful with um, just what you assume is true, because if you really believe it, then you won't question it. And if you believe you are a minority, and because of that, people will overlook you, then he will expect to be overlooked. And then like, how do you expect to be the best? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to an extent, like, if you can use it as a chip on your shoulder that drives you and kind of like gives you more energy than the person on, like next to you in, in that competition, then good. But if it makes you feel smaller, then terrible, right? And you need to yeah. be very careful on, on how you navigate those emotions. Yeah, that's that's good. And in general, like career career advice that like you know you've received from peers, uh, not peers, yeah. mentors, and like you know uh, also from peers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too, but, I mean, um, I'll, maybe I'll I'll share the story of how I I got my my first job because it's I guess it's like that's the point. Uh, like with with WeFounder. I knew it was the right place for me to learn about startups. Like I knew that that was the exposure that I wanted. And once I somewhat like obsessed, like stubbornly assumed like that, that that had to be my, my path. Like I, I kind of like was wondering like, how the hell do I do that? You know, it's like I emailed Nick, the CEO saying like, Hey, I, I want an internship here. Like, this is who I am. And started, like, he ignored me. Like, like he answered, but then he ignored me and I follow up and he ignored me like three or four times. It's like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm already being ghosted. So it's like, let me find their house. Like, let me just try introducing myself in person, you know? Um, 
and I Googled the house and there was no public address on the internet on where they worked from. Like their Google Maps said that they're in Boston, but I clearly knew they were in San Francisco. Uh, and there was this old article of what culture looked like and we found there. Um, so I like I saw pictures of the house and I saw that corner. It's like, okay, let me go there. Uh, so I literally just went to that corner and from the pictures, tried finding that first office, knock on the door. The guy that comes out is like, we found they moved, up, moved out from here, but I think they know where they went. I just like, whatever, you know, I, I'm already here. I already spent like hours of my life getting to this point. So I called an Uber, went to the second house and the house was empty. Like it's like a see-through kind of glass. You, you, like there was no furniture. So I literally asked the neighbors like, hey, do you know, like was there like a company called WeFunder under here? It's like, yeah, I have this one phone number. Like they moved out like two weeks ago, but let me reach out to this guy and ask him where they went. And that guy answered, he actually had kind of like stepped down from, from WeFunder, but it wasn't a sabbatical, but it answered. And then I got the address, went to third house, and it was only Nick, the CEO that was in the house that day. And I, the moment that I told him how I was like an obsessive stalker and like creepy as hell, that's the kind of thing that he wanted to see. And they, he hired me on the spot. Um, and like, I, I, I mean, I, I, that was a super important story and experience for myself as well. Because like, I wasn't born with that attitude every single day. Like that obsession are the, is the exceptions. But then the fact that it's like, once you are willing to go like a step further than everyone else probably will, like you get what you want. It's like a really nice lesson that people our age should expose themselves a little bit more frequently to, because then it makes you believe that you can do things on after you've been ghosted, you know, you can, there's, there's still a second, third, fourth path to still get what you want. Yeah. So like perseverance, basically, you know, like trying to like keep, keep trying, try until you like make it basically. Yeah. And have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That weird process, you know. Were you alone when you were tracking them, or were you yeah. with friends? Oh alone. wow, wow! You were literally tracking. I thought when you mentioned that earlier, you meant like you were you were following up like with emails and stuff like that, but you were actually tracking them, like right. literally yeah, from yeah. house to house. That's so funny. That's a cool story. Yeah. That's a cool story. Um. Okay, so the last question I have is: um, Do you have any hot takes about ventures in Latin America or in like San Francisco? Ah, I, I, maybe it's a boring answer. It's, it's less of a hot take. Um, I think a lot of like Latin American founders and for this point, just international in general, when they have the ambition to compete against founders in San Francisco, for example, which for that case might be like another international that just moved to SF instead. Um, like there's always like this myth of like, or like not a myth, but like a true reality of like, oh, it's so hard for me to kind of like find access to VCs and raise capital and all these different stuff. It's like, I, I just don't know how to do all these things. And that's totally fair and it's incredibly hard. And if you're not in the culture, it's incredibly hard for you to understand how it works. But I think the industry got to a point where there's so much available information online that if you're not capable of like leveraging the low hanging fruits of like how you can get better and how you can compete as a founder, in ways that now you can learn to do for free, then to an extent it's your own fault. And maybe that's my hot take, you know, that like a, a lot of the people that do complain about how hard it is as an international to like access this world, ultimately they spend a lot more energy complaining than trying to figure out the right steps to get there. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a big hot take. <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's the strongest hot take I've, I've had in the podcast. No, I mean, I, 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 I can obviously defend it both sides, but like, like the more optimistic, like, 
like I, like it's I think it's actually very optimistic, you know, because it's like realizing that there's so much you actually can do to get better. You know, like there's so many early stage founders that I met that never read a single essay from Paul Graham or like never watched a video from YC startups or stuff like that. It's like that's literally like 20 minutes of your time as you're like eating breakfast every single day that will make you meaningfully uh, a little bit more acquainted with the with the industry, with the words, with how to do a good deck, with how to present yourself, with understanding the importance of markets and all this different stuff. That if you just don't know how to think about startups to begin with, like start by reading the books and then try doing something else. But like if you don't know anything, um, start by learning. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Those are good. It's like you know, don't be lazy. Basically, <laughs> just try to do the work um and if you really have the motivation like right you know, there's yeah. a lot of resources available. and i guess that 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 would take to like a different conversation which is like so many founders or for that sake people in general like try doing something for the wrong reasons because things tend to kind of like from the outside they tend to be like the best life in the world and from the inside it's like a daily nightmare in some ways uh and when you start choose to build a company or anything for that matter, but like kind of like risk your life in some meaningful way, you have to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and not to like, I don't know, make money quick or something like that because it typically doesn't work out like that. Um, yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you, Gabby. I, I had a lot of fun in this conversation. Um, thank you <laughs> for fun. being in the podcast. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. I definitely had a lot of fun in this episode. We talked about many different things and I really admire Gadi for all the work he has done and all the things that he's um, going to achieve in the future as well. And I really like having Uruguayans in the podcast because it really shows all the talent that there's um, in my country as well. I hope you really enjoy it and I hope to see you back.